uh, during this time that I, I, I labor to stand before you to preach the gospel. Uh, if you have your Bible with you this morning, I trust that you do. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Turn with me to the 32nd chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 32. I'd like to begin this morning by reading verse 15. During the time we have this morning, I'd like for us to, uh, to consider and meditate upon those things we should have a high regard and esteem for as children of God. What should we hold in high esteem? Deuteronomy 32, 15. But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. The word Jeshurun here in verse 12 is, is poetic language. It's poetic language, and it's another word for, for Israel, for God's, God's people. It's very similar to like when you go to the Song of Solomon and you read about the Shulamite. The Shulamite is poetic language. Shulamite is the feminine for Shulaman, which is the Hebrew for Solomon. It's poetic language used to tell about the one Solomon loved, his, his bride, the one he had a special place for in his heart. Jeshurun here, just a poetic name for Israel, for God's people. And this verse tells us about them waxing fat and being covered with, with fatness. This chapter tells us about the Lord loving this, this people, Israel, Jeshurun. God said they were his portion in verse 9. They were his lot. And certainly God's people are his, his portion, like a portion of pie. You know, you'd have a pie and say, that's my portion. When you think about Adam's race, God had a portion of Adam's race, and that's his, that's his people. And the lot of his inheritance, this word lot here in verse 9 is like a lot of a subdivision. You know, you'd have a portion of the subdivision you'd own. You'd say, that's my, that's my lot. Well, God's lot from Adam's race is, is his people. And God loved, loved this people, Israel. God displayed his love to them in the Old Testament. If you notice in verse 11, it was the Lord that guided them and directed them concerning the way in which they should go. God fed them in the wilderness with manna. God gave them water to drink from a rock. God guided them. He gave them his law and commandments. They had the oracles of God when other nations on the earth dwelled in, in darkness. And this verse says they, they, waxed, they waxed fat. What, what does that mean? That means they begin to put their attention more on the blessings and what they had than on the Lord that gave the blessings. They looked at themselves and what they had in possessions and what they had that other people did not have and, and they thought too highly of themselves. And when they thought too highly of themselves, and they became just content just within themselves, and being filled with themselves. The Bible says they forsook God and they lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Lightly esteemed. What is the word esteem? What does that mean? That means to hold something in high regard. To have a great level of respect for. You know, we live in a world where people seem to put have high esteem and great respect for a lot that they shouldn't have high esteem and respect, respect for. 
And we live in a world where an individual could take some time on television and, and he'd be held in high esteem and people would just almost hang their lives on the word that, was, that would come forth from his mouth. We live in a time when sports stars would be held in, in high esteem and a sports star could get them a Twitter account and all of a sudden have like a huge effect on the United States of America or even on Facebook. I remember growing up as a child, there was a commercial come on TV and that commercial had a big effect on my life. There was a doctor that was on General Hospital. I, I think his name was Dr. Rick Weber. I think I'm right on that. Uh, Chris Robinson was the actor that played Dr. Rick Weber. You remember he came on television with that, that Vicks commercial. He said, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. And he said, in children, they take, you know, children's cough medicine. And adults should take adults. And he was promoting, you know, all the Vicks thing. Well, apparently it worked because, you know, all the parents thought the kids need to all have Vicks vapor rub on them every time they got sick. And I can remember as a child going to school and some boy would ask me, you know, what kind of cologne you wear? Mine's Vicks Vapor Rub. <laughs> we all smell like Vicks. And that man got on, he wasn't a doctor, but he played one on TV and people held him in such high esteem that whatever he said, it, it, had, it had to work. And I'm not saying Vicks Vapor Rub does not work, but, you know, our skin doesn't have to be red burnt because we think it works. How many times has this happened in history? An individual have a place of popularity, a place where he can get attention from the world, and he'd be held in, in high esteem. You know, the world we live in holds even riches and possessions in, in high esteem. Do you recall the text there in Luke chapter 16 and verse 15 when the Pharisees were railing and mocking the sinners that were at the feet of Jesus Christ? They said, you know, he eateth and sinneth the publicans and sinners. And Jesus said in verse 15, those things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God. Wow, well that's a strong text, is it not? What is Jesus saying? He's contrasting these people at his feet versus what they, the Pharisees, were holding in high esteem. And what Jesus is saying is, my Father in heaven is more pleased with their repentance here at my feet in fellowship with me than he is with those riches that you hold in high esteem and this status you have in society, those things highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God. You know, yesterday marked the 20th anniversary of, of an event that happened in the United States of America. You know, there's terrorist attacks. I don't know, do you remember where you were when you got the news of that? I remember where I was. I remember where I was when I heard it on the radio, what, what happened. I was at work. I was working and, and everybody in the shop just gathered around the radio to listen about what, what happened. And I mean, our hearts were just, were just saddened and broke. I remember after it happened, you know, my wife's family, they live in Washington, D.C. And I went up to visit with Jennifer and, and we, her sister who worked for the Army. She took me over to the Pentagon to get me as close as I could to where, you know, the impact. And I couldn't get really, really close, but I could see from a distance. I mean, it was a huge explosion where the airplane had landed and crashed there. Uh, and I remember the attitude of everyone, it seemed like around me, after those events. You know, there was, seemed like there was a, a turn in the United States of America. People began to think of the Lord more. I remember you'd watch TV and you'd see a football game. People were 
singing Amazing Grace and more people were praying and more people's hearts were, were broke. And it really, to me, it looked like people were holding in high esteem maybe those things that they should, but wow, it didn't last long, did it? It was really temporary. I heard Elder James Carlock say something here recently. He said, you know, it seems like after that tragic event, those things that should have been permanent were very temporary. And the things that probably should have been temporary have become permanent. And I want to tell you, those events have had an effect on all of us. If you don't think it's had an effect on you, you haven't been to the airport lately. You go to the airport, you can see that it, it had a huge, huge effect. Well, what's happened? We failed to hold those things in high esteem that we should. Do you remember the book of Jonah? Do you remember the book of Jonah? When God sent Jonah to preach to the Ninevites that they'd repent, he was going to overthrow that city. Now I realize Jonah was very reluctant to do it. He didn't want to do it. And God got a whale to take him where he needed to be. And Jonah, he goes and preaches to people, and you know, they all repented. Repent of their sin and fear and reverence of God. From the king down, they repented. And the Bible says, and the Lord repented of his anger. What does that mean? What that means is God had looked on them with a face of anger because of their sin and because of their repentance and turning to him, he, he showed them a face of mercy. But apparently that was short-lived because if you go to 2 Chronicles, you'll find where the Assyrians, they turned from that very quickly, did they not? I mean, they became a very detestable people after that. I compare that to what happened in the United States and how things changed. Well, what happened? People don't hold that in high esteem that they should. We need to be instructed on what we should hold in high esteem. The Bible says we're just children of God. We're children, children. <laughs> we're not big kids in the Lord, are we? We're just little children. You know, little children need instruction. If you ever went to the five chapters of that first epistle of John, how over and over he calls them little children, little children, little children, little children. You know, I'm happy just to be a little kid in the house of God. You know why I'm happy to be that? Because it's never the little kids that cause trouble. It's always the big kids that cause a lot of trouble. Little kids hardly ever cause any trouble. I mean, they may have a little spam, but they'll get along just fine. As long as we're just little children learning in the Word of God and being disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll never cause any big trouble. So when we get big in our own eyes, that's when we cause trouble. Well, as little children, what do we need to be instructed in concerning holding in, in esteem? Well, here's a verse that tells us the children of Israel held the Lord. They lightly esteemed Him. Wow. And when they did it, they'd, they'd forsook God. The Lord had blessed them so much, they saw the power of God and His majesty and all those events that happened in Egypt. They, wow, how quickly they forgot, right? This morning, are we holding the Lord in, in high esteem? As that Him, are we gathered in reverence of Him? Do we live in fear of God? Now, I'm not saying we should live in morbid fear of God, but we live in reverential fear of God. You know, the world we live in, when people even preach, preach. They're not preaching the God of the Bible. We live in a world where people are being taught this, that, you know, God loves you and will accept your worship just the way you are, just the way you are. You don't have to repent. Now, brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches us that God loves His children 
And that eternal love will never change. Thank God for that love. Because if anyone's done enough to change God's mind about his eternal love, I have, okay? God's eternal love will not change. But his temporal dealings with his people, with us, God demands for us to do better. To repent from sin. God just doesn't accept us the way we are in worship. Now I can find many times in the Old Testament that God would not accept the people as the way they were. You know, God is a God of judgment. People would say, well, God is a God of love. The Bible says God is a God of love. Yes, God's love, but God is also jealousy. You ever read that text? Deuteronomy 4.24, God is a God of jealousy. God is a God that calls on his children to repent, to turn from their wicked ways, to do what's right. And if we don't, we're not living in fear of him, in fear of God. Well, what is repentance? Repentance is a 180. It's turning from one direction to the other. It's stopping what we're doing and turning and going in another direction. And God calls on us to repent in our lives. So we have a, a continual effort that we should have in repentance and sanctifying ourselves to his service. Now, whether we do that or not, it doesn't change our eternal position in heaven. But it does help us in our fellowship with our Father in heaven. These children of God, Lightly esteemed the Lord. They did not fear him as they should. They forsook him. And they lightly esteemed him. We the children of God need to be reminded. People in the world need to be reminded. What the Bible has to say about God. And we should live in the terror of God. Have you ever read that text? 2 Corinthians 5.11 Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Now what does he say? Is he saying God is just a mean old God in heaven? No, no, what he's saying is the Lord will chasten you, dear child of God. When God is not pleased with us, he will chasten us. And he chastens us because we're his and he loves us. And Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. That was one of Paul's motivating forces for faithful service. Understanding if I don't do right, the Lord will whip me. And the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. If God has blessed you to know more, more is required of you. Yeah, I remember when I was a little bitty baby, I mean, I'd, I'd done things that's wrong. I remember when I was four years old, my daddy and mama, they were pretty strict on me. But, you know, when I got about 12 or 13, mom and daddy, they knew I knew better then. Mm -mm. I didn't get the same mercy then as I did when I was four or five years old because mom and daddy knew I knew better. And God knows when we know better. Let me ask you, the people that live around us, even us here, do you think God has blessed us to know better? Yes, God has blessed us to know better. God has blessed us to know better, and if we know better, we should not hold him in light esteem, but we should esteem God highly. We should put him first in our life. I read a study several years ago on the average life of a person in the United States of America that lived to 70 years old and what they would spend their life doing. And I was amazed, and this study was done extensively. And they said if an individual lived in the United States of America 70 years, the average American citizen would spend eight years of that 70-year life in amusements. Television, movies, activities, just amusements. That same person would spend six years of their life eating at the dinner, supper, breakfast table. Six years of a 70-year life eating. Five years, average American citizen, 70 years old, 
We spend five years in transportation, going back and forth. The average American citizen, which today it may be more than it was then, would spend four years in conversations with other people, whether on telephone or in person. The average American citizen at 70 years old would spend three years being sick. The average American citizen that lives 70 years old, if that person, if, notice I said if, if, if that person went to church every Sunday for an hour and a half and spent 10 minutes a day reading their Bible and praying would spend less than one year in that service, 70-year life. How about that? Does that shock you? If the person went to church every Sunday for an hour and a half and read their Bible and prayed 10 minutes every day, it would be less than one year. After we've got eight years in amusements, now what are we hoping in high esteem? Is that a good question? What are we holding in high esteem? And then we wonder why we're not being blessed more than we're being blessed. These people lightly esteemed the rock of their, his salvation. His, God is their God. God is our God. God is the one that saved us. God is the one that loved us before the foundation of the world. God is the one that came down from heaven and died for our sins. Us ungodly sinners that are unworthy of his love. He done it for us on the cross. And then we lightly esteem him. In our mind, are we fully convinced that God is sovereign? He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. He's the king over all things. Are we convinced? My mind needs to be convinced on a regular basis. I need to be convicted that I would be better. There's a lot better that I can do. I failed God way too many times. I look back in my life in the 50 years. I think about the hymn. Much of my time has gone to waste. And I perhaps am near my home. But I thank God he forgives my follies past. And he gives me grace to come. God. Yeah, he's a demanding God. God is God of the universe. But he's merciful and kind to us. To give us another chance and another chance and another chance. After we failed him as his children. Aren't you thankful for his mercy when you think about all that? Wow, it causes me to be more thankful for God's mercy and Him give me another chance that I can esteem Him highly as I should. Now think about what Jesus done for me on the cross. If you want to see love, you think about what Jesus done for us on the cross of Calvary. If that didn't convict your heart to do better, I don't know what I could tell you. The Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. What does that word constrain mean? That's a beautiful text, 2 Corinthians 5.14. It means it handcuffs me. I can't believe that Jesus done that for me. And it handcuffs me to want me, it makes me want to do better. We should highly esteem God, more so than characters and personalities on TV, more so than someone just come on the radio and say something. We should highly esteem God. He should get our attention. He should be our, our focus. But that's not the only thing the Bible tells us to esteem highly. Turn with me to Psalms 119. Psalms 119 has 176 verses. These 176 verses can be broken in 24 sections. It's an acrostic psalm. David is going through the Hebrew alphabet and telling you what every letter of that alphabet reminds him of concerning God's word, why he appreciates God's word. Have you ever seen a little kid say, A is for apple, B is for ball, C is for cat, 
David goes through the Hebrew alphabet and thinks about the word of God. In every letter, he's reminded how much he appreciates God's word, his precepts, his commandments, his laws, the word of God. Verse 128, David makes this statement. By inspiration of the Spirit, Psalms 119, verse 128, he said, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts, that's thy word, concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Not only should we esteem God above all things, we should esteem God's word to be right, to be right. We shouldn't look at God's word and say, there might be mistakes in that. Could be some errors. How do we know what's right and what's wrong? No, we should esteem his word. We should hold his word up and say, this is what we need to live by. I think it was Sister Libby that told me one day during a meeting, Elder C.M. Mills said this. There was a conversation and discussion on different matters. And Brother C.M. Mills, he said, well, let's see what thus saith the law. What is Brother C.M. Mills saying? He said, I esteem by word. Whatever your word says is going to be the final say-so. Do you know the Bible teaches us over and over the consequences of changing God's word? Adding to or taking away? You know, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 warns us, don't add or take away from God's word. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 and 6, don't add to or take away from God's word. Revelation chapter 22, notice about verse 19 and 20, don't add to or take away from God's word. But over and over, people are developing these revised versions that do nothing but take away or add to God's word. They're not word-for-word translations. You know, the reason I love my King James Bible is a word-for-word translation of the original text. You know, the NIV, that's not a word-for-word translation. Mm -mm. It's filled with dynamic equivalence. What does dynamic equivalence mean, Brother Ronnie? That means a paraphrase to my own understanding. That's what that means. Now, let me ask you, do you want a paraphrase to someone's understanding or do you want a word-for-word translation from God's Word? What about the New King James Bible? Same, dynamic equivalence. Well, the ESV, that's got to be good, Brother Ronnie. You know, the ESV was a revision of the RSV, which was a revision of the ASV, the American Standard Version. You know, the ASV is very popular with those groups that deny that Jesus is God. You know why? Because it'll give them liberty and justification to deny that Jesus is God. And they'll walk around, they'll tell everybody Jesus is just God Jr. He's not God, he's just God Jr. He's a less than God. If you don't believe me, go to all three of those and read 1 John 5, 7. See how they read. They will not read the way your Bible reads. There's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, which is the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That text will not be in there. Brothers and sisters, I couldn't use one of those books and believe our articles of faith here at Union Grove. But these individuals are not holding God's word in high esteem, what they hold their own opinion. Dynamic equivalence, what I think it should say. You know, it really doesn't matter what I think when it comes to truth. Truth is truth, okay? And whether I agree with it or not, it's still truth, truth. Whether I preach it or not, it's still truth. Truth is truth, and truth comes from God because God is truth personified. The book of Amos tells us that there was a plumb line that was let down from heaven. A plumb line is used reaching from something high down to something low for which 
all things are measured. The plumb line that we have here in the New Testament church and what we have for our life is the Word of God. And we should hold that Word in high esteem. It should not be something collecting dust on our coffee tables. It should not be something laid on top of our refrigerators. It should not be something that's hid in the back of our cars. It should be something we're reading and looking at on a regular basis. I heard a story once about a preacher who's doing some visiting with some families. They come to a particular family, and the man in the house, he was bragging about how much he read the Word of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, if a man's reading the Bible, Brother Allen, he don't have to go around bragging about it. You can tell it, right? You'll know it. I went to a meeting one time, and there's a preacher they put up in the pulpit before me. And I tell you what, Brother John, the man spent about 20 minutes trying to convince everybody how much he read the Bible. And I sat there, I was just a young preacher, and I thought, you know, I don't know how to follow this. <laughs> but I knew better than that. So I got up, and I quoted there from 1 Timothy chapter 4, when the Apostle Paul called on Timothy to meditate upon these things and give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Remember that text? Thy profiting may appear to all. And I made this statement. I said, if I'm reading my Bible as I should, I shouldn't have to tell you, you should be able to see it in my preaching. Individuals bragging about, oh, I read my Bible, I read my Bible. Well, the preacher had borrowed some money from the man this Sunday before, put some gas in his car, and so he went there to give him his money back. And so what he did, that Bible that's sitting there on the coffee table, he put the money in the Bible, closed it up, laid it down on the table. A couple Sundays passed by, the brother said, Preacher, did you forget about that money? He said, No. He said, I put that money in that Bible. You said you read so much, sir, on your coffee table. Apparently the man wouldn't open it up as much as he was saying he opened it up, right? How much do we open God's word? Do we esteem it highly in our life? When we've got a problem in life, do, do we turn on TV and try, try to find an answer? Do we turn on the radio and try to find an answer? Or do we look in God's word and try to find an answer? You know, God's word is sufficient. God's word is given by the Lord, inspired by him, preserved by him, kept by him. And I want to tell you, it's never out of date. It's always up to date. And whatever problem we have, the answer for that problem is in God's word. I promise you every time. And everything we do in the church should be in accordance to God's word. We should be living our life accordance to, in accordance to God's word. The Bible teaches us that the righteous man, his steps are ordered by the Lord. What does that mean? That means a man that's going to live right in this world, he's going to walk by the commands of God. What are the commands of God? His word is the commands of God. We're living by his word. When the just, the Bible said the just shall live by faith, that's a man that's showing himself to be judged, just that's living by the word of God. My life should be, I should be laboring to align myself. Whatever God said do, as Mary said in John chapter 2 and verse 5, just do it. Just do it. I don't understand. It doesn't matter. Just do it if God said do it. We should hold it in high esteem. Another thing we should hold in high esteem, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And this is two verses here that I really have to qualify because it's going to make reference to the ministry. Verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes to the people of Thessalonica, he said, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the pastors. But notice these pastors are not just a man that's called to preach. Mm -mm. These are faithful men. These are men that labor among you. These are men that are over you in the Lord. They're over them as 
being watch care, guiding them in the Word of God. This are, these are men that are called of God, that are faithful to the calling, and they admonish them, not by their own thinking, but by the Word of God. And notice what they should do. And to esteem them very highly, very highly in love for their work's sake. What is that saying? If there's a pastor, and that pastor is faithful in God's word, if he's doing what he should in God's word, we should esteem him highly. We should have respect for him. We should have regard for him. Now, a man of God can promote that, or a man of God can take away from that by his own actions. You remember the text there in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1, dead flies caused the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking saver, even so a little folly of him that's of reputation of wisdom and honor. What's that text teaching? If you went to the doctor and you had a cough, and that doctor was going to recommend you some cough syrup, what if you looked over there and that cough syrup was open and there was flies going down in it and swarming around and coming back out and going down in it swarming, and he said, let me put this top on here. Just start taking this. Would you be excited about taking that cough medicine? How about it? I'd probably say, you can keep it. I'm going to go get some of Chris Robinson's Formula 44. <laughs> Dead flies. That apothecary is the medicine. So a little folly in him that's a reputation of wisdom and honor. You know, if a man of God, a pastor of the church, just gets up before he and acts like a fool, why don't you have respect for him? Why? Now, I'm not saying a pastor can't joke. Sister Ann, you and I love to joke. It's fine. You know, Sister Ann, she jokes with me. You know, you can't believe nothing Brother Ryan says out of the pulpit. She's just, she's just joking. There's some things you can believe I say out of the pulpit. <laughs> and I'm not offended by that at all. I think we can have some fun in the house of God. I think it's good to be happy. It's good to be happy. We shouldn't walk around with all frowns all the time, all bent over. I remember as a brother down there in Georgia, I talked to Elder Gary Hall about I said, what's wrong with that brother, Brother Gary? He said, he got baptized by lemon juice and never got over it. <laughs> some folks are like, we should be happy. But the man of God shouldn't be acting like a fool. Shouldn't be acting in vain jesting. He should live in such a way that the people in the house of God would have respect for him. I, I told a person once, I said, if you're going to get up before the people and act like a fool and all the kids there, don't expect the kids to come for you for advice when they get older. They're not going to do it. They're going to think that's just a fool there at church. You know, this world, any person that God has given a place of authority, this world with television and radio tries to make fun of it. Have you ever noticed all television shows try to make fun of the man of the house? The daddy, oh, it's always making fun of the man of the house. You go to television shows, the preacher, he's just, he's just an old idiot over there. He doesn't know anything. He's just an old fool. What is that? That's the devil is what that is. That's the devil trying to sow confusion in the minds of children of God that they wouldn't have respect for the people they should have respect for. Now, the man of God, we should show him regard. We should show him respect and hold him in high esteem. And if someone has an accusation against him, we shouldn't receive an accusation but in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Why? Because he's ministering under the children of God, the word of God. And he should be a man that's faithful to that calling. And we should hold him in high esteem. We live in a world now, the man of God can get in a pulpit that's faithful and say something. Nobody pay attention. Somebody say something on TV. Boom, everybody's doing it. That is wrong. I mean, if a man is preaching the word of God, we should pay attention to that man. 
Do you know how many times I have apologized to Elder John Scott for not being the church member I should have been? You know, Brother John was my pastor. After I joined the Primitive Baptist, I love Brother John. And I've told Brother John over and over, I'm sorry that I was not the member I should have been when you were the pastor of Faith Primitive Baptist Church. You know, Brother John, he, he didn't hold anything against me. I, one more. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to stop right there with that. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. What should we hold in high esteem? The Lord, His Word, faithful ministers of the gospel. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes by inspiration of God to the Macedonian brethren. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. What is that saying? We should hold our brother and sister in higher esteem than ourselves. What's wrong with the world when everybody's getting offended over everything? What's wrong? People think too much of themselves. You know, if we start thinking a lot of ourselves, you're going to get offended. You know the best way not to be offended? Think too much of yourself. I tell people all the time when it comes to church meetings, and you know, you have those meetings where a lot of preachers come in, the best way for a preacher to get offended is to think too much of himself when he walks in the door. Bam. If you don't think anything of yourself, I don't deserve anything. You're not offended. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, my name, Louder Milk. Do you, do you think anybody's ever made fun of me, Louder Milk? Come on, it's all right to laugh. <laughs> Some of you have probably made fun of my name. You know, I've been called buttermilk, clabbered milk, rotten milk, louder mouth. I mean, you go down to middle Georgia, that's what they call me, louder mouth. I don't know, I don't preach loud. <laughs> louder mouth. Am I encouraging people to make fun of me? No, I'm not encouraging people to make fun of anybody, but I don't get offended. It's all right. What about uh, primitive Baptists? You ever, you ever had someone get a laugh when you told him you was a primitive Baptist? I remember telling somebody I was a primitive Baptist when I was going to school. <laughs> what do y'all do? Y'all still drive wagons to church? <laughs> y'all don't even have plumbing in the church. Y'all just have the outhouse. I said, well, we believe in the old past. What, what the old past? It goes back and forth the outhouse. That's what you do, you primitive Baptist? I said, I think you're misunderstanding primitive Baptist. Now, did I get offended by that? I just didn't think they understood what a primitive Baptist was. I don't think a church has to have inside plumbing to be the church, but I am all for inside plumbing and electricity. I am all for air conditioning. I preached in a church when the power went out and there was no air conditioner. Boy, when it come back on, I thank the Lord for the air conditioner when it come back on. I was covered in sweat. Anybody make fun of you? Primitive Baptist? Primitive Baptist? Yeah. Did I get offended? All right, I don't think you misunderstood. You think I've ever been made fun of because I'm from Georgia and I got this real thick southern accent? Sometimes I'll joke with people. I said, people really don't like my preaching. They just like me to come before they hear my southern accent. 
think I've been made fun of because my southern accent, you know, I'm this little white cracker from Georgia, you know, got a southern accent. Yeah, I remember we went out west there with Sarah Beth for adoption. I went into a barbershop to get a haircut because it's out there 14 days. I walked in. I said, sir, I'm not from here. He said, no kidding. <laughs> he heard I wasn't from there just right from the get-go. Was I offended? Me? Now, what if I thought a whole lot of myself? Chip on my shoulder. Louder mouth. Butter milk. Boo, I'd be offended. I couldn't have any friends, could I? Primitive Baptist. <laughs> thought too much of myself. Now, I'm not encouraging people to make fun of individuals. I'm not encouraging, but if we get to a point we think so much of ourselves that someone in the world, and we're all just carnal individuals, can have a little fun that we get this absolutely angry, I think we're thinking way too much of ourselves. I look at it as an opportunity to tell people, you know, hey, louder milk, that's a German name, and I guess my ancestors were loud-talking cowbells. I guess that's what they were. And what is your ancestor? Good way for me to open up a conversation, and before that conversation's over, I'm inviting them to church. <laughs> Primitive Baptist. Primitive Baptist. Hey, let me tell you about the Primitive Baptist. I look at that as an opportunity. You know, you got that southern accent. I said, well, I said, not everybody that's got southern accent is ignorant, you know. I might know something you don't know. I said, let's, let's see. Let's talk about it and see. I'm not offended. Why? I, I hope I don't think too much of myself to get offended over something small like that. You know, in the house of God, you know the best way to have good fellowship in the house of God? If we all don't think too much of ourselves. We esteem our brothers and sisters higher than ourselves. If we think about them before ourselves. You know, I've heard somebody say joy. Joy is spelled Jesus first, other second, yourself last. You always have, have joy. You know, a few weeks ago we had communion service. In that communion service on the table we had the unleavened bread, the real wine. You know what that was? Those were emblems of the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he'd done for us on the cross and saving us from our sins. That's what they were. They're emblems of that to remind us that Jesus died for our sins and saved us from the hell that we deserve. And then right after that, what we do? We do foot washing service. Foot washing service. What is foot washing service about? The unleavened bread and real wine is about reminding us about what Jesus did on the cross. The foot washing service is reminding me about what I should be here in this world. I will tell you, Brother John, it's hard for me to hold myself in high esteem with you if I'm down at your feet washing your feet. Boom. Well, that's good, isn't it? That's good. That's what that's for, to remind us that we should hold others in higher esteem than ourselves. And you know, by doing that, you know what happens? Peace in church, peace in your life, and you're not just walking around offended at everybody. We live in this world where self-love is, is growing rampant. And it's, it's not going to cause peace. Mm -mm. It's going to cause argument, fuss. It's going to cause a lot of contention. I don't want that in the house of God. I don't want that in my life. I don't want it in my home. And if I keep the attitude, I don't deserve what I've got. What Jacob say in Genesis 32 and verse 10? I'm not worthy of the least of thy mercies and truth. What kind of attitude is that to have? That is a great attitude to have. May God bless us to hold those things in high esteem that we should. God, his word, the ministry, and one another above ourselves. May God richly bless us, our prayer. Is anyone here today that would like to come forward and ask for a home here at